Welcome to the Didi and Latal Show. Advice, thoughts, and stories from a married couple on cybersecurity, technology, and life in general. Now here are your hosts, Didi and Latal. Hello and welcome to the Didi and Lital Show. I'm Lital. Hi, Didi. How's it going? Everything is awesome. You know why everything is awesome? Because we're going to Vegas next week. No, no, I, no, no. 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 I, I August in Vegas. August in Vegas. Uh, the only upside is meeting my brother who gives me a sense of meeting my brother. You and usually don't come to Black Hat. I'm the only one usually yes. suffering in summer heat. Well, 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 we are kids free. So this is the the part that is awesome. Producer Dave, I think at some point we need to stick in the 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 famous Tom Cruise sliding with the old time rock and roll. Oh, from Risky Business. From Risky Business. Of course. So I, I'll... You're saying you, you may just be dancing around in your underwear. Of in your, course. In your home. Okay. Uh, uh, exactly. It. Kids are with the grandparents in Tel Aviv, and we are here, and we are going to black it. Exactly. So I, I'm going to play that. Now I have a Sonos that plays through the whole house. I'm going to play through the whole house, the old-time rock and roll. <laughs> and uh, exactly that. I hope not... I'm not sure the viewers want to see you dance. Yes. Uh, for sure not in your underwear. Let's keep it kind of... Oh, PG yes. 13. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> even though we curse all the time. Yes. Uh, By the way, if they will see me in my underwear, they'll see that now my chest has a Steve Carell from the 40-year-old virgin haircut. Because <laughs> I, I went and I, I used a heart monitor for three days after... You and Bibi. You and me and Bibi. I, the, this was a massive, massive relief of not needing to, to do that anymore. This is, speaking of our healthcare system, this was a very funny experience. And I'll tell you why. I had to fill out forms on top of forms and top of forms. The things you love most. Yeah, the thing I love the most. Then a lady called me up. Speaking at the voice of, remember Officer Hicks from Police Academy with the tiny, tiny, tiny voice? She spoke like this. And I say, can you speak up? I, I, I'm old. I'm 50. I can barely hear a word you're saying. I had to play her on the speaker in the living room and play her <laughs> full blast so I can hear a word that she's saying because I heard nothing, like not a word. And she was asking me multiple times, am I active? Because people that usually wear heart monitors are on the less active side, like our president or president-to-be. They're on the geriatric side. And I told her, I, I, I run 5K a day. I work out. I do almost 100 push-ups a day. I need something that's stable. And I got the least stable device. How do you know it's the least? Maybe it's the so, most. So <laughs> you don't know what the, other versions of the device they have. So they, the, there's this thing called the Internet. You okay. might have heard of it. And they have like a, this big patch that sits here in the middle and you attach it to it and it has like a cover on top of it that really keeps it stable. And you're, you can, if you have that, you can swim, you can run, you can do all these things. Yeah. I didn't get that. And that's after 30 minutes with Officer Hicks and that's after <laughs> filling out enough forms to last me a lifetime uh, of explaining that how much activity I do. But I did get... They didn't read the form. They didn't read the form. But I had to fill out the form, which is good for compliance. So that 
and they, they covered themselves exactly. So yeah. now I my, my chest hair is patchy, and but at least I'm device free. So everything is awesome now. Your heart is fine. My heart is fine. Apparently, yes, my heart is fine. Uh, apparently, if if you run five k, no, Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> <laughs> That's the removal of the device. Yes. No, that's the removal of the chest here. I had that when I had to remove <laughs> all the stickers. So now that I'm relieved, things are awesome again. Okay. Okay. Well, with summertime, it, it seems like the economy in general is going in a better direction than yes. it was earlier in the, the year. We're still kind of like unsure and like it's a weird year. But, well, tech is back. Especially with all the AI frenzy and startups started having new hires come in again. We see a lot of startups around us both raising funds again, slowly, not as crazy as it used to be, and open jobs. And we have a lot of friends that are getting jobs. And we wanted to dedicate today's discussion to if you're in the market looking for a new job, and you're considering to get into a startup, we want to share a little bit from our N equals to experience, so nothing scientific about things you should look for when considering joining a startup, things you should be aware of or beware of, and in general, things yep. to think of, because life in startup is not life in corporate. And while we both did more of it, I have probably... 12 years of startup experience. You have a little bit less, but you've seen a lot of startups around. So let's get going. Yeah. So also, as the fact that I know nothing about a topic does not prevent me from being an expert on it, right? That's your <laughs> definition. Yeah, I know. Yes. I know. And, and I'm one of the only ones that keep on reminding you about it. Like most people just expect you to be the expert or yes. accept that you are the expert. Of course. I, I speak with absolute confidence about things I know shit about. You are the definition of swag. Yes. Do you remember what yes. swag is? Yes. To, to say it. You need to say it. Scientifically, I'm not blanking of what swag is. <laughs> Scientifically wild-ass guess. Yes. That's what you do. Scientifically wild-ass guess. Yes. You, you do swags all the time, but say it in a very confident way. So and and I get it better it. than 50%, so that means that I'm that's better. Scientific. Th- that's scientific. <laughs> and it means that it's better than rolling a dice. Okay. Okay. So I'll start as the most scientific person. I'll, I'll, I'll put that topic. So let's say you're being approached by recruiters or friends that are working for a startup what are the things you should ask? What are the things you should look at when you kind of... It's not like big companies that have an established glass door presence, have a lot of employees, you know a lot about them. There is a lot of risk in joining a relatively early stage or mid-stage startup. So let's kind of like unpack this. Uh, give you kind of like, how do you start thinking about a startup? What are the things so, you, you, you're thinking I'll start with the what not to do. So what I've seen people do is overanalyze the cap table. People say, how much stock will I get? Cap I, table is basically options you're getting. It's not, the, it's not the, just the options that you're getting, but also how diluted is the company. 
people are asking a lot of questions about the state of the cap table. And they also ask with the stock that they are getting, they immediately go by the, oh, we need three more runs, I'll be diluted X amount of times. So people start by thinking about the monetary f- outcomes that the upside that they get from stock options, because that's part of the game when you get typically when you are joining a startup, you're going to get some options. Yep. Typically, it's four years vesting with like first year is a cliff. So the first year, only if you complete the year, you can get to vest those. And people see the upside. I'm going to join a startup that they might be sold or they might IPO. There's going to be great opportunity for me to make Everybody's starting, everybody, <laughs> everybody's starting to think of, okay, I want to make a million dollars out of this. I want to make two million dollars out of this. So let's do some sort of calculation. Let's do a lot of calculations and people run the calculation through me and, and I, I keep telling them, guys, trust me. From every acquisition that I sat on the flip side of from a big buyer and from my humble experience going through this right now, Big companies, when they acquire you, they know how to keep the talent. If you're valuable, you'll get paid. And that goes without saying. And another thing I'll tell you, there'll be some useless bum on the cap table, no matter what, that will piss you off to no end, that will make a shitload of money for no good reason because somebody made a mistake. So over-agonizing yourself over the state of the cap table... Or assuming that you're going to make a lot of money because of your state in the cap, the cap table, both of them are wrong. There's secondaries, there's non-secondaries, there's a whole bunch of what happens in the aftermarket and the post-market. And the, don't try to think or guess based on how much stock you're getting when you sign, how much stock you'll end up having, or how much money you'll make with or without the stock. A lot of people would argue, I'll come to an early stage startup, I'll join as like employee number 10, 11, I'll be one of the first. Yeah, there is a lot of risk, it may not fly. Yeah, they don't have a lot of money to pay me, they cannot pay me my market value, but I'm going to get a lot of equity and I'll be getting like this tons of stocks for a ridiculous amount of money because the value of the company at the moment is purely nothing. So people do think about it. Like you cannot say don't think about it. That's the only, not only upside, but it's a huge upside to join a very early stage. Yeah, but don't. uh, Stage. But you're right. The thing is, none of us have the crystal ball to know the future. And it's kind of silly to just rely on that. So if other things, and we can talk in a second about other things to be aware of and to consider on the, on the flip side of like upside. The other upside have to be also big. Yep. Like your learning opportunity, the market, the product, the execution, everything, the leadership, the experience of people you're working with, everything else, because the equity you're having is so kind of, it's aspirational it's rare. It's really rare that you will have a big life-changing moment unless you are a co-founder. If you're a co-founder, your chances are bigger. Even then, 
a lot of the chances you will not get anything. But still, your chances as an employee, whether you are employee number 10, and for sure if you're employee number 250, and for sure if you're employee number 1,500, the chances that you make life-changing money are slim. I disagree with you. I think it's just that the MBA math that you learned from the shit you read on the internet is just wrong. Okay. I've seen people come in by the VCs as what is called a closer or a cleaner. It's somebody that needs to polish up the turd to be sold to somebody. Yeah. They make a shitload of money. Okay. But, That's a but, thing. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying people need to understand that the MBA math of here's dilution, here's path, that has nothing to do with how much money you'll make from being part of a startup. I've met a QA lady that was just very lucky and very good at her job and was always in the right place. And, and the two founders really liked her. And she ended up making life-changing money because whenever there were dilutions happened, she was made whole. And it had to deal with some very good founders, which is a, a more important than how much money you're going to get and or stock option and how people take care of you along the path are sometimes a lot more important than anything else. Also, you need to understand when I'm going back to talk about the founders, will the founders try to screw you over or not? Because you'll see a lot of companies that the cap table, the common stock after round D is owned by the two founders or three founders. Like and the investors? And, no, I mean the common stock, the not the preferred stock, are owned by founders that keep selling through secondary and get, keep getting refilled, and the game is rigged. So if somebody's an asshole on the board and takes care of themselves, the Cornell math that you've learned will not help you, or the MIT math, or the, I don't know, who, what else business schools te teach you how to calculate the, 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 the cap table. That will not help you. Things to look at uh, is primarily who are the founders. And even I though. I think that's critical. Let's yes. talk about it. Yes. So, as this is going to sound very asshole ish of me, considering I'm a first time founder, but as Matt and I have learned through this process, there's a whole bunch of things we didn't know. We are both very, very smart people. Not. I'm not a very modest person, Matt is, but there's a shitload of things that you need to get kicked in the nuts to know not to do again. Mm -hmm. And so by failing, you learn. By failing, of you course. learn. Not that I'm saying second-time founders, third-time founders are better. But or necessarily Because yeah. some people just fall up. But traditionally, more experienced founders is better. Agree. And I, I think, I'm not saying... Don't go to a company just because it's a first-time founder. But in general, the life experience for all of us, we all get better from experiences. I think this experience of starting a company, going through the ups and downs, make you appreciate yep. those issues, make you anticipate, and much harder for the first time, it, it doesn't mean that the company will not succeed. There are tons of companies that succeeded with first-time founders. Microsoft, um, Amazon. Yeah. First, 
And I think that's maybe something to look at. If it is a first-time founder, who else is in the management team? Yep. Do they have experienced professionals that it's not the first time? Is it the friends and family and things that came with them from the military, which is good, they get along, but do they also bring experts that have done it before, people that scale the business, people that were able to sell SaaS to the enterprise, for example. Like, it's really, really hard to be a bunch of technical guys out of Unit 8200 not understanding anything about selling to big banks in the U.S. and succeed with selling to big banks in the U.S. There are professionals that have been selling to big banks in the U.S. and it's okay to be a great technologist and start a company around an idea. And you need to add, as a leader of the company, some experts and professionals that have done it before and know how to go and be humble about you not knowing how to do it, which is another thing. Check if what's the limitations. Do your leaders acknowledge the limitations and be able to bring in experts to help. I think that is also really important for the success of the business. Well, actually, the, when you talk about the success of the business, what happens is most of the time you'll see technical CEOs. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I love a technical CEO. If you look at the biggest successes ever in the software business, it always came from a technical CEO. Bezos was a technical CEO. Zuckerberg was a technical CEO. Gates is the poster boy of technical CEO. Jobs uh, wasn't. Jobs ideation. He was still yeah, it wasn't yet. He, 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 no, but he was still the creative. If you think about it, creative, yes. But he was the creative, not not the GTM guy. When they brought in the GTM guy, Apple fell on his face. So this is where. I can tell you that if you want to go really big, if you want to, because what will happen is if you bring in a GTM guy to be to own the the vision, they'll always put controls in place. Like you were starting to talk, so how to sell to enterprise, blah blah blah. Selling to, the big successes always came from people that didn't know their limitations. But. There's, this is where you need to think of where you want to join a company and understand their limitations. Like we, ha we had dinner with a guy called Sam Curry that was on the podcast. If you haven't listened to our podcast with Sam, listen to our podcast with Sam. Yeah, I think we have two episodes. Yes, exactly. Yep. So one of the things he said is if you're going into the security business, be aware of the fact that Microsoft owns 80% of the security business and you're fighting for the, next, for the, for the remaining 20% right. as you go in. So... If you're going to a security startup, be aware of its limitations. But if you're going to... The dimension of the, 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 what is going on in, in the market. Exactly. So understand the market. Understand the GTM. The GTM wins. As a technologist, I'll tell you, GTM wins 100 out of 100 times. The DD and Latal Show will return in a moment. The DD and Latal Show is sponsored by ORT. In today's world, identities are the perimeter protecting the organization and are the most exploited vector by attackers. 
If your security teams are struggling to maintain control of identity management tools, ORT can help. ORT offers a centralized platform for discovering, monitoring, assessing, and remediating identity threats to your business. While most security platforms can take weeks or months to start identifying and remediating risks, with ORT, your security teams can get started in as little as 30 minutes and start securing the identity perimeter immediately. ORT will surface the most critical vulnerabilities and give your security teams the recommended action steps. Start your trial today at ORT.io. That's O-O-R-T dot I-O. The DD and Latal Show is sponsored by Hunters. Hunters is a SaaS platform purpose-built for security operation teams. Providing unlimited data ingestion and normalization at a predictable cost, Hunters helps SOC teams mitigate real threats faster and more reliably than SIM. Visit Hunters.ai to learn more. So we had an episode about people in engineering that have to care about yes. the business, sales, marketing, everything, positioning. This is where it's important. If you are being interviewed for a startup, you need to understand the market, the market position, the market potential, the competition. What's the chances? Yep. Maybe you don't care. Maybe all you want is to come and build fun product and have fun with your friends. That's fine. Good luck. Maybe you care about coming and learning and learning a new skill and you're going to use it if, even if the company will succeed or not. That is fine. Completely fine. Be aware of it. But if you're there for also seeing an outcome and you care about when you choose a company, choosing the right one, and it's very hard to bet on, basically be like a VC. Ask yourself the same questions that a VC asks himself is, what is the market? What is the market potential? What is the TAM, the overall market that is there potentially? If it is a disruptive technology, you need to be aware that there is a lot talking about GTM. If nobody knows about the need for this new great technology, they, this specific company will need to invest a ton in market education, in explaining what it is, in creating this need, elevating this need to their awareness. The fact that you as a technologist see a need, a pain, and you came up with a wonderful tech to solve it doesn't mean that the customer sees it. And even if he sees it, doesn't mean that he has budget to buy it. And this is where there's a lot of work to be done. And ask yourself, not just is the tech good enough, is this company capable of creating a market, creating demand, getting people to actually pay for this tech in a world that is full of Microsofts and all the other long competitors that are not even your direct competitors. If you had security, thousands of other companies in hundreds of siloed small subdomains that are competing for budget and awareness. You go. Yes. <laughs> so Raf gave me feedback that we keep talking. When I say engineers, I always think I mean software engineers, not necessarily. And when you talk about the company right now, you're talking about a company 
that has a go to, that has enterprise sales go to market okay it could be also not an enterprise like PLG motion if it's a PLG motion product-led does, growth does it let does it lean into developer market space does it because I think a lot of what your assumptions are are related mm-hmm. to your experience with trying to go to a company that has enterprise sales motions and has the targeted audience is usually an enterprise buyer I can tell you that the consumer market has an Is very, very different. Agreed. I've been in consumer market for the first decade of my career. Oh, the bar is much higher there. It is, <laughs> but it's very different. Consumer awareness for a product, fighting for somebody's mind share and pocket share is unbelievably hard. On the flip side, this is where if you are going to go towards the consumer space, be aware that everything that we said before... Has no bearing Petrock was one guy and made 38 million there was a startup called plenty of fish with one guy that built a dating site that was bought by eHarmony for close to half a billion dollars true you don't know with with consumer things can catch fire and you don't know why with consumer it's like you have the infinite number of monkeys hitting the infinite number of keyboards and suddenly You, you build a machine that starts printing money and you don't know why. It's even worse than in enterprise. In enterprise, it's the same, but there's the VC, there's all that stuff. Consumer can be aware that if you're going into consumer, things that will make you insanely successful is things that you have no control and no understanding of. Yeah, the, the bar is very high in yeah. consumer. Much, much higher than oh. <laughs> the bar in, in I, I know, B2C, B2B, I, sorry. I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's higher. I know it's different. It is different. When I first heard of what Platica was supposed to do, I said, what person in their right mind will want to use this? And I think they raked in like half a billion in the first year of their existence. What they do is they build on your phone, like, like, like gambling, you can put money in but not take money out. Which I said, that doesn't make sense. It's like... Playing a one-armed bandit that you actually never win. But you, if you pay money, you, you can accelerate things. And I said, who would want to... Uh, that's the whole idea of online gambling. Yes. So, and if you would have... It pit- works because people get addicted. If somebody would have pitched DraftKings to me, I would have said, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. But clearly, I'm very, very, very wrong. So, so consumer is something that you can never predict. So you, you say the bar Unless is... Unless you're an expert. I mean, expert in the field. Obviously, even Zuckerberg is not an expert in, in everything because they launched this big success, Threads, the, the brother of Instagram that is a Twitter ex-takeoff, got extremely successful overnight and now nobody uses it anymore. Yep. Like everyone in the internet signed up for that, used it for five days and dropped it. Yep. I even removed the app. Like, I installed it. I looked for a day. It was stupid. I didn't want to see the people that I look at the pictures now tweeting or whatever it's called on threat, posting. I don't know. It was boring and stupid and irrelevant, and I just deleted the app. So, yeah, how the... So, going back, rolling back to our... So, if we focus specifically, if you want to listen to my and Lital's advice, it means you're probably a security professional, probably... 
in, more into um, enterprise sales, B2B, B2B, yeah, B2B and, and enterprise sales. Enterprise sales is emotion. And you need to understand things like how much of pocket is available. Is there a budget? Is there emotion? How much runway? This is an important question. Almost nobody asked me when I interviewed people. How much runway do we have? I actually hear more people asking it like in light of that the, after 2022, the beginning of 2023, people realized it was hard for companies to, to get the next round of funding. It's becoming more expensive and harder. So people ask, what's the runway? Because they understand that a lot of the layoffs were because companies were trying to elongate the runway. Yep. Second, the thing you want to care about is Openness for a secondary. Because sometimes the company will not get it out of the park. Sometimes the company will... Let's explain what it is for those not, to, not in the game. Do you, want, do you want to explain it or should no, I? No, you go. Okay. So when you talk about secondary, you mean when the company raises money, usually in Series B, Series C, you'll see, oh, company raised $70 million in Series B. Some of that money is based on money that the, co- the company gets to, sh- to basically buy stock from the company. Basically, basically invest- it's an opportunity for, op- uh, usually when you're getting equity in the company, it, it's not liquid. You cannot, it, it's basically monopoly money, funny money until there is a liquidation event. If the company is bought or if it's- Bought or ipo Oh, ipo Secondary means- Secondary is a liquidation second- event. Secondary liquidation event. Exactly. That allows you to use the stock that you got to get real money. And usually it's the gap between the valuation when you got the stock to the valuation of the current stock. And a lot of times that's a big, big gap, especially when people get $70 million in a Series B. So that will be a, a big gap. So be- some companies and some investors in fa- supporting those kind of activities and uh, giving it to all employees or to employees that have been with the company for a certain amount of time. You can always ask. It's not necessarily that the company will tell you. It's not necessarily that they know because it's hard to know what will happen in future events of fundraising. But you can bring it up and... See what the founders think about it. Are they supportive of this? Like if they say, absolutely, every employee in this company, in the case of us going to our next round of funding, will get a secondary, it's a good sign. It's at least a sign that they kind of... They know about it. No, admit, going to take action, doesn't promise that you're going to get it. But for many of us working in startup. That's sometimes the only chance of seeing early liquidation out of the company. I mean, it's an upside. You're working hard. You're working in a startup. There is this risk of this stock options that you got not ever making it. Sometimes it's nice to get it. For those of you living in the U.S., you need to understand, and maybe there are other countries, that this also have tax implication. This is being seen as an income. Even just exercising your vested equity in the U.S. is a tax. Taxable event. Yeah, is a taxable event. If you're in Israel, for example, it is not. There are differences. So I think in any case, you want to consult with tax attorneys to know what's 
the future holds. And um, the internet is not a tax attorney. True for everything, or yeah. a doctor. Yes. 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 Okay, what else? Let's talk a little bit about market potential. How do you assess it? So many, usually startups are in emerging markets. It's hard to know. How would you assess the potential? So I, I will just requote my own BS. What I tell almost every person that came through the door in Ort is I told them what I think is an early liquidation event, midterm liquidation. What would happen if we sell after Series A? What happens if we sell after Series D? What happens if we IPO? The plan to each one of those. And the reason that I, I showed those paths is to show that Matt and I take this thing very, very seriously. We took the option, if I look at what is the best possible outcome, a long-term plan, plan was to compete with Okta, compete with Microsoft as an identity, central identity provider. That this is a real market, it's a $20 billion mark, dollar market. Okta's valuation is at $35 billion right now. So it's, you understand that these companies, I, I w we were talking about, if we do everything right, which is the full path of controlling an IDP, controlling this, controlling this, in a five-year plan, this is where we can get to. I also said, here's a niche that if we take good control of it, here are the target buyers, we thought. By the way, we were so surprised because a whole bunch of people that we thought would never pick up the phone picked up the phone. Mm -hmm. So this is one of those things that at least estimate that you have two, three, that the, the founder at least knows of three or four potential buyers. Because this is important that in case everything goes to shit and there's a fire sale. You didn't know that somebody can pick it up. Yeah, that's super important. Talking, usually when you will talk with the founder, they will say, we're here for the longer run. Nobody will tell you we're here to be bought a year from now. Some may, but most of them, I mean, if they say it's not a lot of VC money, will fly to them. Because like VCs want to see a company that is going to build for the long run and give them the best outcome. So when you ask a founder first, what's your exit? strategy, they will first tell you, oh, we're here for the long run, we're going to build a big company, we're a billion-dollar company, blah, 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 blah. Yes, agree with them. Then ask, but what if not? What about consolidation in the market? We all know, going back to security these days, going back to the fact that there is a big Microsoft, there are tendencies in the market today of simplifying your tech stack not just in security, everywhere. People want less vendors using simplifying your procurement, buying from minimum entities as possible. What are you do going to do with that? Do you have relationship with the Microsoft, the Palo Alto Network, the CrowdStrike, AWS, Google? Like the more the company has support, if they're on the board, if they invested in the company, that's much better. Like, I think you yep. got investment from the company that yep. is actually eventually buying you. It's a good sign. It's a sign that those big companies see the value. They did due diligence about the tech. They potentially see a gap in their own stack that they can fill with you. Otherwise, why 
they will well, place we money. If they put people on the board, even better. They want to have visibility and they want to have skin in the game and see that it's going in the right direction. So that are great things that every startup in our space today, I'm not an expert in other space, should consider. Companies, yes, build to last. You need to be ready to go big and invest in big, but also understand the dynamic and always have the big ones in your kind of like rear yep. mirror and, and invested in your company. Yep. That's the best companies. Uh, I'll, give, I'll give you an actual example from the, the company that went the biggest, at least in my view, Microsoft. There was a conversation when Windows 95 came out, should IBM buy Microsoft? This was a, a real negotiation, a real conversation. You can see this in the, the annals of Microsoft. There was a, and you could hear Balmer and Gates talk about it when they looked a lot younger and a lot healthier than they are now. You heard, you heard them talk about that when the OS2 95 crisis happened, this was a path that they were thinking. Even when they started, they thought that they're going to end up as part of IBM. And only at somebody that really went the biggest and basically said, we got to be a $100 million acquisition target. Remember, it was in the 90s. That's a lot of money for an acquisition target. They said, no, no, no. We're not going to be... We're not going to be in the hundreds of millions. We're going to be in the tens of billions. You hear them talk about themselves back then. Even they didn't predict the size that they're going to be because they thought that they're going to be in the tens of billions. They didn't even dream this big, and they were probably the biggest visionaries. But we also seen a lot of startup that said no to acquisition and ended nowhere. Yep. So that's risky business. Yep. And it's betting. Yeah, and so yeah. I, I think there's something else that a lot of the people that say no, like Gates and Balmer did, they were in strategic bed with IBM from day one. Then they were in strategic bed for office with a lot of people. They, they always had strategic relations. You, when you, this is what you were talking about and you didn't call the child by name. You want to see not only the VC money, but the strategic money. I agree. So a lot of companies like us, you need to not just court the VC, you need to court the strategics. And when you court the strategics, you see the, is, is your technology valuable? And if you see that people take strategic money, it means that they're thinking not that they can rule the world, but at least that they can build partnerships. Maybe it's not the, the end-all, be-all, but at least they understand that they need to partner to get there. Mm-hmm. At least in the enterprise space, nobody cares things alone. I think we should be rounding this up. Yes. So if you have other questions or thoughts about what type of startup, what the things you should consider when you consider joining a startup, please write to us. Oh, I just forgot. Yeah. Here are three more things that you need to do, and I'm not going to quickly d- discuss, go them. discuss them through the, the hilt. Enjoy what you do. Make sure that the team is more important than anything else because these are the people that you're going to spend the most amount of time with. Absolutely. So team. Team. Number one. Two is work-life balance. Work-life balance, work-life balance, work-life balance. People that don't understand that this is not a marathon, that this is a marathon, not a sprint. 
people that will just tell you work 24-7 because it's a startup. You need to give all you have. Wrong. They don't understand that it will take a lot of time and they'll kill you. There'll be ups and downs and sometimes there will be stress. And I completely forgot what my third point was. But the fun, the the, the math on the sprint. the third one is learning. Yep. Startups, because of the ups and downs and all around it, the instability, are also a great place to, to learn. learn. So learn not just the tech, the being on the front edge maybe of technology, but also resilience, going through tougher times, how to build a company, how to build teams. It's a great opportunity. You are learning a lot structurally when you are in a corporate If you kind of like autodidact, learn by yourself, startups are great places. Like you can go and actually do stuff and use a startup as a way to elevate your career. That's an opportunity. Yeah, we sometimes laugh about coming to a startup and getting an Im imagined VP title just because everybody Everybody's has their own VP. Yes, on one hand, it's, it's exaggerated and so, but on the other hand, hey, you, you got the leadership role. You wouldn't have got it elsewhere, so why not? So, yep, consider it as well. Awesome. Great. Thanks, Lital. Thanks, Didi. And with that, thank you, everyone. The Didi and Lital Show is a weekly podcast. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. If you have more questions about joining a startup, please join us. See you next week. See you next week. Have a good one. 